Well, let's consider together these first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. And we see very clearly in these verses that when it comes to the Lord Jesus, the wise thing is to seek him. Uh, we're going to do something um, in a way that we don't normally and typically um, consider these passages that we come to look at. And that is actually just to quickly run through those verses we've just read verse by verse and just consider a few things. Uh, one of the interesting things that you discover as you read the scriptures very carefully is that certain things that are sometimes said about the nativity story don't actually appear on the text of the page. So uh, try as you might through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you will not find a stable mentioned anywhere. Now think about that if you want. You discover it's true. And we're told in verse 1 of chapter 2 that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, these wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So these events occurred after Christ's birth, but they actually occurred quite a bit after Christ's birth. So when you see those pictures of shepherds and wise men together in a stable, I'm sorry you don't find that image in the Bible anywhere. The, uh, the words that are used to describe Jesus as a child uh, are those most commonly used to describe someone who we might call a toddler rather than a newborn infant. And most scholars are agreed that the events regarding these wise men occurred at least a year after Jesus was born and Joseph and Mary are still living in Bethlehem. And we're told that Herod is the king and the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. The wise men, the magi, and again, we're not told how many. Nowhere does the Bible say there were three. The assumption is that it was one gift each. Who knows? But wise men came. Wise men whose learning probably would have included all kinds of mystical religions, maybe even what we might refer to today as the occult. They were from the East. Uh, one very possible origin for these men is Persia. It was a, a great place of learning. They had libraries full of all kinds of ancient texts and literature. So perhaps Persia or, or somewhere like it was the origin of these wise men who come across, who are introduced in the opening verse there. And they arrive in Jerusalem, they head for the capital where they know the king resides and they're asking for the new king. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? It seems there was some kind of expectation at that time that something special was about to happen apparently even some of the other historians of the day uh, record that there was an air of expectancy in Israel that some new great leader might soon appear in their nation they say they're looking for one who's been born 
maybe they had access to some of the Hebrews' scriptures, like Isaiah chapter 9 that we looked at this morning very briefly, that a child is to be born. And they're looking for one who has been born king. It's a, an interesting thing they say there. Even royal babies are not usually born king. We've got Prince Charles, Prince William, and Prince George. Heirs to the throne, yes. Likely one day to be king, maybe, but yes. Born king, no. Born as royal princes, born as heirs to the throne, but not born king. But the wise men are seeking the one who has been born king. One of the first titles used of Jesus is here in verse 2, king of the Jews. One of the last titles used of Jesus was king of the Jews, as Pilate had the inscription nailed above him on the cross. King of the Jews. He was born. King of the Jews. He's God's king. He's Israel's king. It's amazing. At least a year has gone by. And the people in Jerusalem are still completely unaware that it's happened. It's just not the way we would have planned things if the coming of Christ had been left down to us. But God's ways aren't our ways. We sing, don't we? We'll be singing probably in a few weeks' time, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. And Christ has come silently into the world in that sense. They've seen his star in the east. So wherever they live, looking up at the night sky, suddenly there was a star there that was never normally there before. Uh, now, uh, today we're familiar with astronomy. That's the scientific study of the sky, and the universe. And we're also used to, or familiar with the, the term astrology. Some people uh, accidentally get the two mixed up as they're talking. Astrology is that superstitious belief based upon the understanding that the movement of the stars and the planets has a direct influence on human choices and destiny. Well, perhaps these magi studied one or both, but they noticed this star that appeared in the night sky in the east. And they knew that this star was of great significance. Uh, interestingly, the text of Scripture doesn't actually say that they followed the star from the east. It just says they saw a star in the east. And they knew. 
and they knew they had to go to Jerusalem. We can only guess as to uh, what it was that told them that Jerusalem was the place they need to head to. We can maybe make some educated guesses, but it is only speculation. But they knew they had to come to Jerusalem and they arrive at Jerusalem. And it's only once they're in Jerusalem that the star actually appears and leads them to Bethlehem. We see that in verses uh, 9 and 10. We can only conclude that this star that appeared is a sign given by God in his goodwill. And so in arriving at Jerusalem, they've arrived at the obvious place, haven't they? They've come to where the, where the existing king is going to be found. You go to the royal palace in the capital city. That's where you expect the king to be. Um, there's going to be another royal birth, God willing, uh, in the new year. Uh, well, it won't be at the palace because times have moved on and babies generally get born in hospitals nowadays. Uh, but you've seen the pictures of that hospital before. It's in the capital city and it's that place where nearly all royal babies of recent memory have all been born. And the wise men come to the obvious place. They say they've come to worship him. It doesn't necessarily mean worship in the way that we understand worshipping Christ as our Lord and Saviour but it does suggest that they, they understand that there is something extremely significant and unique. At the very least, it says that, about this child that's been born. And these wise men recognise that this child is one to whom they must come and pay homage. One to whom they must show due reverence in some very significant way. And we re- Of course, there's those gifts that are mentioned later on in verse 11 that they will bring. And Herod is very troubled. It doesn't come across necessarily straight away in the the passage, but we know that he was uh, very troubled indeed. It says he was troubled, and that's all it says, but we actually know that in his mind, uh, he's immediately plotting and scheming so that whoever this usurper is, if he's out there, is never going to get to the throne. And, of course, we'll, we'll hear of the awful lengths to which Herod would go later in the chapter to try and ensure that this king is long dead before he ever reaches Jerusalem. And so Herod is very troubled He is the king over Israel, although he's a bit of a phony king in some ways. Um, He's only half Jewish and he's only as much of a king as Rome will allow him to be. He's under Rome's thumb. They really are the real authority in Israel at this time. He's obtained his kingship through crime and bloodshed, including members of his own family. He's a ruthless man. Uh, He craves power. And he has everything to lose as these wise men come to him. He stands to lose everything. For many, the coming of Christ will be a source of great joy. 
but to Herod, it's simply a threat. Well, he gathers all his, his religious leaders together and he inquires where, where Christ would be born. And we realise that there's actually two sets of wise men in this story. There's the wise men who've arrived from the east and there's the wise men in, who Herod has at his disposal and he can speak to them. They're called the chief priests and the scribes. In verse 4, And they can tell him straight away. It's not because they're ignorant of what the Bible teaches. Yet they still are ignoring God's king. They can tell them straight away, you need to go to Bethlehem. That's the place. That's the place the Bible speaks of. The prophecies from Micah in chapter 5. The chief priests and the scribes have no hesitation no doubts whatsoever. Bethlehem's the place. Off you go. As I mentioned this morning, you see, the Hebrew Scriptures contain sufficient detail about the coming of Christ for his coming not to have been a shock or a great surprise to Israel. But they simply weren't expecting the kind of Messiah that God was sending. And Herod ascertains what time the star had appeared. Presumably that, play, that plays an important part later on in the chapter when we discover that it's all the infants under the age of two that Herod has murdered in the hope that one of them will be this baby king who's been born. Even now... The plot to be rid of this usurper is taking place in Herod's mind. And so it's quite a gruesome part of the nativity story in many ways that we have this uh, ruthless king uh, who's ready to do anything that he can to hold on to power and be done with this child. And of course he makes out that he's interested to go and worship him himself in verse 8. He seeks to cloak his wicked plans with religion and with goodness and with piety. He thinks he's only dealing with mere men. He thinks that these wise men will be easily fooled. Herod's very typical of many in the world today, isn't he? Such a deceitful heart in the king. Trying to cover up his wickedness with supposed goodness. Trying to make out one thing when actually exactly the opposite is going on under the surface. And perhaps from time to time we... We see these kinds of things in men being uncovered and on news headlines. People who we thought were men or women of integrity. And then we discover that there's this great wickedness taking place under the surface. And you see Herod either forgot 
or was completely unaware of a very significant verse in the book of Proverbs. It's a verse worth pondering about and thinking over. It's in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3. It says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. If you're not a Christian, the eyes of the Lord are on you. He takes note of every evil. He takes note of every good. Christian believer, the eyes of the Lord are on you. He takes note of every evil. He takes note of every good. Well, that's Herod. Great deceiver. Planning and scheming. And he would yet bring about great wickedness in the land. But then in verses uh, 9 and 10, the wise men have finished with their discussions with King Herod and off they go. And there again, the star says, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So as they're making their way to Bethlehem, uh, what great joy there must have been in these men. Uh, What a, a wonderful thing it is that God is doing for these men. They've been told, you'll find the child in Bethlehem. And they're on their way to Bethlehem. It's not very far away from Jerusalem. And as they're walking along, the star is with them every step of the way. Confirming, confirming, confirming. And then right where the star is. How you can look up at the night sky and tell the spot that a star is over, I'm not quite sure. But that's what happened. This, this is a, a miraculous thing that God is doing for these men in leading them to the one they'd come to look for. It's wonderful that God does that, you know. It says in the Bible that God is a rewarder of those who diligently <coughs> seek him. And if you are truly, truly seeking after Christ and seeking after God and seeking after salvation for your soul, the Lord will guide you and lead you and take you to Christ. He does that for these wise men. The star goes before them. And they find him. And they worship him. And they lay down their gifts before him. Now, I just want to spend a few moments as we draw to a close, just thinking about these two groups of wise men that we're introduced to in this passage. There's the wise men who are called wise men, and then there's the supposed wise men of Herod in verse 4. Well, let's think about that group first of all, these chief priests and scribes. The chief priests, well, that's 
the man who currently is serving as high priest, he would often have a deputy. Others who had previously held that office would all be included in that number. And the scribes, they were skilled men. They were learned in the Old Testament law. They were the nation's lawyers. They were the nation's record keepers. Um, Not strictly a religious group in themselves. No, No doubt many of them would consider themselves to be very religious men. This group together, the chief priests and the scribes, uh, these would have been members of the the Jewish council in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin. These are very important men, learned men, in charge of all the religious and civil affairs of the country. Significant men in the land. I suppose the the equivalent today would be the the government cabinet or uh, the House of Commons itself. But these are the men right at the top. And we've noted how they have absolutely no difficulty in answering Herod's question. Where where will this king be born? They have no difficulty telling him what the answer to that is. But we see that despite their knowledge, they have no expectation. No expectation at all that this Jesus will be there. They're expecting him someday, but they're not expectant. It's just another day till the king called them and asked them this question. The men from the east surely would not have been at all surprised if they'd arrived in Jerusalem and found the place buzzing. Buzzing with excitement at the recent birth. (coughs) Seeing these wise men arriving in Jerusalem, presumably looking quite fine and with these gifts to bring. Well, it's obvious why they've arrived. They've heard the news too. Perhaps these wise men would have expected that uh, maybe Israel's wise men would be on the same quest as them. Surely they've seen the star also. Surely Israel's wise men will also be looking if they haven't yet found him. They know he's been born, but where is he? But there's nothing like that in in the men in Herod's court. Imagine a factory... And the Queen is due to visit at noon. And teams of reporters start arriving, but there's no sign of anything happening outside the factory. And they go into the reception, and sitting behind a very untidy desk is a rather dishevelled security guard drinking a mug of tea and reading his paper. Is this where the Queen is expected to be in a few hours' time? apparently it wouldn't be like that they say that the queen actually really does believe that the world smells of fresh paint everything would have been prepared months and months in advance all kinds would be going on because the queen is coming and we're expectant but there's nothing like that happening in Jerusalem when the wise men arrive. And they certainly weren't expecting the kind of Messiah who has arrived. As far as they were concerned, their Messiah was going to be the one who's really going to put the wind up Rome. They've got it completely wrong. (coughs) 
They've got all this information. There's no expectancy in them whatsoever. And then secondly, even more amazingly, they didn't seek him. Here are the wise men, the star, this king who's being born. Wouldn't you have thought that these scribes and Pharisees would have said, wise men, go and have a sit down, have a rest, have some refreshment. We're off to Bethlehem to see if these things have really happened. And we'll go. Herod, you stay there. We'll go. We'll find out. No, not at all. They don't seek him. They don't go with the wise men. They don't go instead of the wise men. It doesn't stir their hearts at all. You'd expect them to run on ahead, but they just stay put. It's remarkable. You would think if there was an ounce of spiritual life in these men, if there was an ounce of spiritual life within Herod's palace, the message of these wise men would have been like telling a head teacher that Ofsted have just turned up in the car park. The whole place would have sprung into action. Everywhere would be a buzz. No. They don't seek him. And because they haven't gone to seek him, they cannot worship him. They have no thought of giving this child the honour the time, the reverence, the worship that he is due. They're wise people. But they've completely missed it. And that's the thing about this gospel message. That's the thing about these stories that we're recalling at this Christmas time. The wisest of people can completely miss it don't be one of them look at the the wise men the one who's the ones who are called wise men what do we see about them well they knew that this baby was a new and special king precisely what they understood we can't be sure just how much of the full picture they had in their minds we don't know but they understood that something very special was happening. They understood that this baby was very worthy of all their time and effort. Something big is going down in Israel. and We need to be there. Even the heavens are involved. There's a unique star in the sky. This isn't normal. Something outside of our normal experience is happening. This baby is different. This baby is special. This baby is unique. We need to see him. And that's what they did. They sought him out. They were prepared to take time out and expend energy in seeking out what this thing was. It was important to them to pay homage to this child. This was a significant journey they've embarked upon. They've really put themselves out. They must find him. And then we see that with great joy, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. There's great joy in seeking and finding Christ. 
It's been a costly episode for these men. It's been an epic journey. They were convinced that the reward of finding him would be more than worth it. Expensive gifts are offered. Gold for a king. Frankincense. That's a fragrant resin that was often burned in in places of worship. So frankincense is a symbol of one who is to be worshipped and honoured. And myrrh. Myrrh was used in embalming the dead. This is the king. He's the king who must be worshipped. He's the king who's come to die. How much of these things did these wise men fully understand? I don't know. But I've got a more important question. How much of these things do you understand? Will you accept these things? Will you seek after this child that we remember at Christmas? The one born who is king. The one born who alone is worthy of your worship. He is worthy of your very life. Why? Because he is God. The one who's come to die. The one who expressly came into the world to die for sinners. That we might be forgiven all of our sins. That we might receive life everlasting and a glorious hope and future. And the great comfort of knowing that all of your sins have been covered through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Christmas time, as with all Christmases, is that time of the year when our eyes are focused Our hearts are focused, our minds are focused on this nativity scene of the baby in the manger. The baby is king. The baby is God. This baby is the saviour of the world. And the wise thing is to seek him.